Hi, my name is Kunal, and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. This morning, from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, we have a very special guest joining us, the founder of Fintech Lab, a board member on Malaysia's External Trade Development Corporation, and the general partner and co-founder of Ficus VC. Please welcome Ms. Rina Neo. Rina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, how are things uh, uh, in light of COVID uh, in uh, Malaysia? Well, uh, things are getting better. We have uh, actually lifted some of the restrictions. People are going out uh, and, and doing things uh, like the new normal. Uh, it's never going to be the previous normal, but um, things are doing fine. Uh, I think Malaysia has uh, probably uh, one of the <clears throat> lowest cases and mortality rate in Asia. Um, there are challenges. Many of my friends' uh, little businesses are closing down and even some of the bigger boys are finding it difficult. Um, so, But I think uh, this will also pass, but perhaps not so soon in the next 12 or 24 months, I, I think. Yeah, but I, I personally, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, just a little bit, uh, you know, it just needs maybe some time to adjust to not being able to go out and but we are all now you know are so familiar with zoom so it does um sort of help there some countries which are not so advanced uh you know adopt a digital economy so you know hawkers and small businesses are learning to do facebook stream online even you know uh, so that's a good thing because previously, uh, government, especially Malaysia government, is trying very hard to get these, uh, you know, small micro entrepreneurs to go digital. But uh, I think, you know, when you don't have a choice, then uh, you got to just do it. So uh, I think there are some good things that come out of these uh, COVID challenges as well. Uh, I'm happy to hear that uh, both hawker centers and Kopi TMs, right, are the lifeblood of both Malaysia and Singapore. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Nasi Lemak can be delivered to your doorstep. I mean, you know, that's something that I'm quite happy about. I don't have to go out and queue for the Nasi Lemak and <laughs> the yummy food. No, right. Um, so let's uh, jump into the first question here, shall we? Sure. Sure. Uh, tell me about yourself and your background and how it led you to the path of becoming a venture <clears throat> capitalist. Um, so I'm Malaysian, uh, but I have actually spent uh, most of my adult life and career in Singapore and uh, around the Asian country, but Singapore has been predominantly my base. Uh, I come from a, a beautiful island called Penang, uh, famous for food as well. Uh, had my earlier education in Penang and then I've got my first degree in uh, computer science. Uh, decided to work in Singapore because I wanted to, to, have, to be in a um, first world country uh, where there are more opportunities, uh, especially in the industry that uh, I'm in, computer science. So Singapore is the perfect choice, no brainer because it's close to Malaysia. And those days, 20 over years ago, uh, we used to take bus, you know, uh, because there were no, uh, you know, flights, there were no, not so many frequent flights and flights were very expensive. 
So my earlier days were um, working with MNCs, uh, big IT firms, uh, but I didn't really like the uh, structured way of doing things. Uh, perhaps because my childhood was really uh, not very structured. So I started, uh, you know, selling things as kids. So you can say that I'm a kids pruner, but those days we don't have those terms. Uh, I started selling things around my neighborhood just because uh, I needed to help the family uh, financials. And I've done, you know, many types of different uh, part-time jobs uh, along the way. Um, so that actually gave me uh, lots of experience uh, in understanding little businesses. So uh, until today, I'm very passionate about micro SMEs and you know, uh, businesses run by women. So when I started my first career in Singapore, um, two, three years with uh, the big IT firms, I decided that uh, you know, I want to do something different. So I joined a, uh, a small uh, startup. And I was very fortunate that that particular startup uh, went on to, uh, got, uh, to, to list in Australian Stock Exchange. And uh, we all, the pioneer team became a, a little millionaire at those days. Uh, it was a very interesting experience for me. But uh, after the listings, you know, things started to look a bit uh, ugly. There were bot fights and eventually the company got listed and uh, I ended up, you know, starting Mercatus Capital with the chairman of this particular company. That's how, you know, my, my sort of faith with uh, investments and VC started. So we started Mercatus Capital in 20, uh, 2006. It was basically five of us uh, starting to invest our little money in startups. And uh, we found that we are actually uh, more than just investors, obviously value-added investors. Um, that particular journey, about 10 years, uh, saw us listing another two companies uh, in Australian Stock Exchange as well. Um, so it's been a very roller coaster ride for me. Uh, we have lost a lot of money. Uh, we also make good money. So uh, that sort of summarizes how I accidentally end up being an investor and a VC. Wow, Rina, um, all the way from a kidspreneur, right? Maybe you can coin that term someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, to to um, um, selling off massive companies, that's, that's huge. And um, now currently you're managing um, Ficus VC. Uh, you're the co-founder yes. managing partner of the fund. Yes. Uh, yes. What is the fund's investment philosophy and what is your ticket size? Okay, so Ficus started because... Uh, uh, well, Ficus is actually a tree, like Sequoia. So we thought, you know, uh, we'll just, uh, you know, follow those uh, VCs that has got really good names and good feng shui. So um, Ficus is a, is a type of tree. Um, and we then realized that there were actually five of us. So someone said, oh, uh, the five of us are, you know, you guys are five and your co-founder, is that why you call it five Ficus? I said, yeah, maybe so. So um, all of us are Malaysian and uh, we have individually, you know, have got our own career and track record. So uh, myself, uh, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm still a very much an entrepreneur. That's like uh, in my genes. I love building companies and um, lucky enough to have some good breaks and good exits so I could invest in uh, the dreams of other people. 
Um, my other co-founder, uh, Baiza, Baiza is a good friend, long-term, long-time friend whom I knew because we were doing some Sukuk financing. Uh, he is sort of one of Malaysia's uh, best guy to go to if you need, uh, you know, to issue any structures in, in Islamic finance. Um, Baiza was uh, previously, before we, you know, decided to start Ficus, he was the uh, managing director for Maybank Private Equity. So there is a private equity guy in our team. We have uh, Suyong. Suyong is an investor entrepreneur like myself, and his track record was actually uh, listing a company in Malaysia at the age of 26. And perhaps, uh, you know, in the uh, record, he probably returned the most, uh, you know, uh, RI to uh, Mathcap those days, the investment company that put in uh, money in his company. So Suyong went on to. Uh, basically do a lot of great things, investing in Malaysian startups and uh, helping with, uh, helping, you know, a very, I think uh, he's a very hands-on guy. So he helped uh, all those companies that he invests in. Uh, they have good, very good track record and exit. So there are two of us who are angel investors, entrepreneur in the team. Then we have uh, another partner, Hidayat, who is uh, very familiar with uh, Sharia compliant law. He was uh, uh, working with one of the bigger funds, PMB, those days. And then finally, our leader, Chairman uh, Azamin, uh, the, <clears throat> the leader of the PAC, uh, used to be uh, CEOs of various banks. And his last position was group CEO of uh, Maybank Asset Management. So why uh, five of us and why we decided to come together? A few things. Firstly, we felt that there was a gap in the VC ecosystem in Malaysia. There are VCs in Malaysia, but predominantly they are foreign VCs uh, setting up shops in Malaysia. Secondly, over the years, we felt that the local VCs are very local and now ASEAN is the place. So you need to have network around Asia for us to basically, you know, help the companies that we invest in Malaysia to go out of Malaysia and vice versa. So uh, with us having a very good network around Asia, um, I think that's one USP that we have. Secondly, uh, all of us are not first-time, uh, you know, investors or you know, uh, a fresh graduates with uh, Ivy League universities uh, that decided to be in VC. We have, you know, lost money. We have, uh, you know, made money, and that kind of experience, uh, you know, collectively sets us apart from, uh, you know, the other VCs. I mean, VCs are very competitive market as well. We are all chasing the same deal. Of course, we collaborate as well. And I think that should be the way because for FICUS, um, we know where our strength is. We are basically people, you know, in the team. So Yong and myself, uh, we invest personally our own money as angels. And then we are able to sniff out ideas, help them, you know, become a startup. And then we have people there who could help with the scale up, the M&A, the listing work. So there's like a, a holistic uh, team uh, working with the startups as well. So that's where we see that, um, you know, uh, where our USP is. Um, in terms of ticket size, um, we invest between uh, 1 million ringgit uh, up to 2.53 million depends on the um, the deal structures. So uh, 
for example, ficus, we would concentrate more on seed and pre-seed, but we do have an allocation for like, you know, uh, pre-IPOs because you just have to balance your portfolio. Um, in terms of industry, we like tech. Uh, this because Suyong and myself, who are the hunter for deals, we are very familiar with the tech industry. Um, but Malaysia, um, you know, because of our geography and all this, we see a lot of agri-tech as well. And of course, uh, in FMCG. But if we were to invest in FMCG, it has to be tech-enabled. Right, so if I were to div uh, invest in a Nasilamat stall, uh, I need to uh, a Nasilamat brand. I need to be able to see that the Nasilamat brand uses, you know, uh, you know, technology, uh, and this brand can actually be, uh, you know, be uh, delivered all over the world. So um, that will be our uh, investment philosophy, um, and and the industry that we uh, focus on. Uh, Rina, that's very, very interesting. I mean, um, for most of these uh, VC teams that you kind of see out there, right? They don't have mm -hmm. that diversity from early stage to growth equity to private equity, right? And yes. you guys are that one-stop shop in a way. So very, very interesting. Yeah, it comes with age, I guess. <laughs> so all of us are like in our early 40s and the chairman is in his 50s. So uh, we, we specifically, we are friends to start with and we know each other's strength. I think, you know, in every company and I, I considered ourselves a new startup as well because this is our new venture fun but all of us have got uh, different strength uh, different network and most importantly uh, we know that we can work together uh, and and that that's very important because uh, you can be managing you know a hundred million fund but uh, the team you know working together is you know there is no synergy then I think it's it's quite uh, you know deep, uh, stressful as well right <laughs> no uh, right I can't agree more with that um, yeah. you know, when it comes to this, you said one, one mil to two and a half million, uh, ringgit, right? So that just yeah. for the listeners out there that converts to, that's between 230,000 to 600,000 USD, if I'm not wrong. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so moving on to our next question, mm -hmm. you're also the co-founder of FinTech Lab and a training accelerator in Malaysia. Yes. Tell us more about this experience and how it has helped you shape, uh, the local startup environment within the okay. country? So uh, Malaysia is, I think the startups or the founders in Malaysia, they are pretty lucky. I mean, Malaysia uh, is one of the countries that, uh, you know, fortunately the government embraces technology. So we have many agencies, government agencies that provide grants <clears throat> and, and uh, support to startups. Uh, compared to other developing countries. So uh, being a Malaysian, I think, you know, uh, this is something that uh, I, I'm very happy. The government is actually putting a lot of effort uh, to help um, the youth, especially, uh, build their dreams. Why FinTech Lab? Um, we always believe that for FICUS to uh, be a successful VC, uh, getting good leads uh, is crucial. And for I, I love competition, I love pitches and all this, but I don't I always have this dilemma of when, when someone asks me to, to be a judge, right? So everybody prepares and go up a stage and pitch for five minutes and then we as judges have to decide the fate of these people. You know, whether you are going to win the prize or you're gonna be uh, the spotlight, you know, the first top three out of the hundreds that participated. Um 
frankly, you know, that five minutes, uh, you, you can impress me, and, but sometimes, you know, someone just have a very good pro- a product or, or, or a company, but it's just not his day, right? So sometimes life is not really fair. But so we feel that uh, for us to really good, get good exit, uh, it's not just about the beautiful pitch deck and all this. Uh, after 20 years of investing, you know, uh, we cannot agree more that um, the real driver is really the team uh you know so we would love to spend more time with the team and one of the easier way to do that is basically to to basically embrace the team at early stage because vcs don't look at early stage companies like you know uh, pre pre revenue so having an accelerator actually help us to funnel uh the potential uh, investing companies and also because uh, I love education and uh, I felt that some of the accelerators around the world, uh, they basically have very good um, programs. They teach you all the technical stuff that you need to learn, uh, that you need to know. But there are certain things that they don't teach. Uh, soft skills or what I call essential skills, like, you know, basic things. Because we are so, uh, you know, busy making sure that our decks and our finances look so good, um, but the one presenting the deck uh, does not, you know, uh, the character, the aura doesn't match the deck. You know, the deck looks super high class, and and you know, like it's done by consulting Deloitte or PwC. But the one presenting, you know, the confidence, the uh, body gestures and the way he or she uh, communicates with the potential investors is just not there. So uh, for FinTech Lab, uh, that's one area we focus on. And FinTech Lab uh, is actually quite young. We're about two years old, but um, we, we, um, I'm very thankful to my very hardworking team on the ground that uh, we have managed to really um, conduct uh, lots of very impactful uh, programs. We chose uh, to actually address the micro SMEs instead of the, you know, the blockchain startups, you know, that they, they can join any accelerators in the world. But uh, FinTech Lab is specifically focused on micro SMEs. Um, we recently uh, just finished a pilot program uh, in Sabah in the East uh, where we take on about 10 micro entrepreneurs and they basically, some of them do not know how to speak English, but uh, I can speak Malay and my team can, so it's fine. And they, they have decent products, but they lack of self-confidence. They don't have a brand story. Uh, they're just selling in expos. Uh, but little did they know that they were, you know, because of they are doing all these handicrafts and all this, right? They actually give work to their community up in a mountain and all this. But they do not know that they are actually local heroes until we told them, you know, do not apologize to anyone that because you came from, you know, a, a community up in the mountain, therefore you are second class. You're not actually. You're doing great things that even people like us in the city can't do. So I was very um, glad that we managed to take them on. And now, uh, you know, they just graduated recently. Uh, the program is funded by a agency called Mari um, that basically wants to, uh, the, the micro SMEs and, and you know, uh, single mom and very, uh, you know, backward 
industries to adopt technology. So <clears throat> just a few days ago, because they, they were so pleased with the uh, pro, uh, progress of these 10 entrepreneurs, some of them actually managed to sell their products overseas. There were like a group of uh, them that managed to export as well, even they are very little. Um, so Marie has actually said that uh, they want to continue uh, this program through FinTech Lab and uh, our curated curriculum. Uh, and they are going to uh, probably roll it out to a thousand uh, micro-entrepreneurs, which is a very good, good uh, achievement uh, for FinTech Lab. Yeah, so for FinTech Lab, I think uh, the focus is really on micro-SMEs because we as the founders uh, felt that um, the, the calling is really to help micro-entrepreneurs uh, and then hopefully after working with them for a period of time, uh, we can also build uh, good pipelines uh, for FIGUS. Uh, truly well said, uh, Rinan. Uh, what a moving story. Um, uh, interpersonal skills as well as the soft skills, I think those are, those are very, very crucial things. And it's great that uh, you know, FinTech Lab is, is, is really uh, trying to cultivate those skills uh, for, for you know, the local founders. Yes, yes, because I think, uh, you know, it's, it's easy when you have, uh, you know, uh, founders with tech backgrounds and all this. Um, but sometimes when you're just a normal business, um, sometimes, it you know, who wants to invest in you and who wants to give you a chance very much depends on basic things like manners, whether you have decency, whether you are sincere. Uh, and these are the things that I don't think any, um, if you go to any accelerators, uh, you know, they will point it out. So what we did was really, we basically record their pitches from day one. You know, I, I made them, you know, tell me about their brand, you know, two minutes and, uh, for every step of it, right? I want them to see the progress because how you present yourself, you know, uh, the first time, you know, determines a lot of things. So I'm very glad that when they finish the program, they're able to actually stand in front of the audience, tell their story so convincing because they really believe in it, but perhaps they do not know how to put it in words, right? That's where we come in and say, you know, so I have my, my team sitting down with them, creating logos for them, you know, helping them get their products on board the e-commerce side. And throughout this process, they learn and they actually, you know, feel that now they're more clear about what they are selling, you know, what is so unique about their product. Because previously, they were just selling like everybody else in the wet market. So um, I guess the satisfaction was really to um, give them a platform to, and, and to tell them that, hey, you know, you're doing great things. And this great thing, although now is in Sabah, it could be in the whole of Malaysia and soon, perhaps, you know, in, in the region. So, um, for me at this stage of my life, I think, you know, be able to really, you know, um, do my little part and, and uh, supporting these micro-entrepreneurs is greater than, you know, of course, uh, finding a unicorn uh, and just having a financial gain uh, through the investments. But I'm realistic. I have portfolios that are pure financial uh, because... Um, you just have to balance your portfolio uh, strategy as an investor. But if you ask me, uh, I really love to work with this on micro entrepreneurs. Now I want to take a moment to really focus on this question. 
What is it like being a woman-focused investor in ASEAN, and more specifically, Malaysia? Well, being a woman, uh, being a career woman is definitely not easy uh, because of the expectation from the society, and especially uh, women uh, in the investment industry or capital market, if you like. Um, definitely not easy. Uh, there are situations that uh, you just have to learn how to navigate um, when you are meeting with um, you know, your peers, your investors, um, and your colleagues. Um, especially in Asia, uh, women, uh, you know, because of the education systems, because of the upbringing, for example, uh, if I were to climb the trees, my mom would be scolding me. But if my brother climbs a tree, uh, it's pretty all right. And uh, so from young, I guess, uh, that uh, how the parenting styles and your environment uh, does have, you know, some form of, uh, you know, influence in, uh, in, in the girl's life uh, when they're growing up. So for me, um, it wasn't that difficult because during my early childhood, uh, my uh, parents uh, they were separated so my mom was busy with her you know just putting food on the table so I'm pretty much left alone so nobody scolds me for climbing trees and and doing you know silly things so that sort of like really mold my characters and um, I've been always you know uh, sort of like have self-confidence in myself because I just have to do things you know myself so uh, that I think is the biggest influence in my later my career. I am always not afraid to speak up, uh, which I find uh, very rare in the Asian context because in our education system is always the teacher saying you know this and then you just have to take and accept what it is. Um, so education and, and context is very important. And when I grew up, I was very uh, fortunate to have worked with very good mentors. And uh, fortunately, uh, most of them are men. Uh, they are much, much older uh, business tycoon that uh, also gave me lots of mentoring session when I had uh, difficulty you know, uh, in some situations. Uh, truth be told, I think... Uh, when I work with men, they are very focused on the subject matter. They don't take any arguments or any you know, a disagreement to heart. Like, uh, in, I, I think if I'm going to say this, I think some women probably throw eggs at me. But sometimes women, we, we are built that way. We tend to take small little things to heart and we tend to zoom into micro little, you know, micro things. But we sometimes forget to look at the big picture. So the training that I've got from my mentors, I think also helped in shaping, you know, uh, my character and my, my uh, perception about things. So being an investor, uh, angel investor in, in Southeast Asia, um, there are very few women angel investors. Most of the time, what I notice is when women have spare cash, they would love to start their own uh, businesses. So we have actually many women uh, female founders around. And one of the challenges is that we have a lot of female founders that uh, intend to keep business, their businesses 
to themselves. So there is no uh, intention to expand it uh, because we don't take risks. A good example would be like, uh, I always use this example. My mom would go to the neighbor and borrow a pinch of salt. Uh, when she needs to return, uh, she will uh, top it up with uh, maybe a cake or something else. So we, women, when it comes to fundraising, um, women don't like to borrow money. Women don't like to take, uh, you know, favors from people. So that leads to the question of, you know, uh, the question that always thrown to me, like being an angel investor and, and being a women entrepreneur. I think one of the biggest challenges that we women has is when it comes to fundraising. And there was statistics that, that actually pointed that, you know, even in Silicon Valley, uh, the percentage of women founders getting funded uh, is very low compared to the guys. Uh, just because I think uh, is the expectation. And if women were to do a little bit of homework um, before meeting the investors, for example, if you meet a, a VC, you know that a VC has to return a certain percentage to their limited partners or their investors. Uh, if a woman goes to the VC and say, you know, I only need $5,000 and I will use the $5,000 very carefully and in five years, I'm going to return you $7,000. Although the product, the services, all this, the, the business idea is so cool and I love this to invest in this woman, I can't because I have a mandate. I need to look at companies that can give me you know, this return that uh, is expected of me. And that doesn't just fit into the VC world. So perhaps uh, a good angel investors uh, will, will be, uh, you know, sort of like uh, have that kind of appetite. Um, I think the last thing I, I, I would say is, it's definitely not an easy uh, uh, role to play. Uh, you have got, uh, you know, peers that look at you in different lenses but uh, if I don't care it doesn't matter that's what I always uh, tell myself I just have to be professional and walk into the the boardroom when I have to negotiate I just have to be myself and just don't have the mindset of me being a woman therefore I am you know a class below anyone so and I don't think I want to benchmark men you know as my uh, you know where I want to be I want to replace a man in this position I just want to be the best of myself uh, the best version of myself and I, I'm not sure why women always benchmark like you know uh, to be equal to men uh, I'm not sure even men is that good so I, I do not think that we should be benchmarking you know I want to be equal to men so I, I don't buy that kind of motto uh, uh, very, very well said, uh, Rina, honesty and a very solid perspective. Um, moving into uh, the next question. Currently, Ficus invests in over 12 different verticals, everything from blockchain to e-commerce to big data to animation. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most interesting startup, startup investments you have made and some major trends you are seeing within Malaysia and Greater ASEAN? Um, I think fundamentally, uh, we, we love, because we have people, uh, team members from private equities, uh, background, asset management, we do look at fundamentals. Uh, we are not so keen on um, those with, you know, huge ambition, but no fundamentals. So uh, regardless of industry, 
because we we ourselves have been business builders as well. So we look at uh, really fundamentals. Uh, we look at governance, and there are two uh, that we are about to deploy um, the funds is actually in a logistic company, which is a huge gap because you know e-commerce companies can can come and go. Uh, ultimately, the boom of e-commerce, you know, the the one that is uh, slowly staying at the side and reaping all the uh, benefits are the logistic companies. And we felt that um, Malaysia, especially, uh, there is a huge opportunity for logistics, especially in the very specific uh, logistic industry like the cold chain, which uh, there are not many there. And then logistic companies that basically don't just serve the B2C, but the B2B uh, model. Um, FICUS is a new fund. We are the first uh, Sharia compliant fund, uh, I would say, in the world, uh, because previously, I think IDB was trying to do that, but we are the first to, to start. And um, definitely, uh, we, if you ask me which are the first few that we will deploy, Definitely is in the area of logistics. Uh, definitely is in the area of fintech because uh, there are so many uh, unbank, uh, you know, I would say unbankable or not bankable uh, individuals in Southeast Asian country. So uh, definitely logistics and fintech will be the first two industry that we will definitely look into and uh, would put our first bet on. Rina, uh, you mentioned a, mentioned a very interesting thing. Can you expand a bit more on what it is to be a Sharia uh, compliant fund? Okay. Uh, I'm not a Sharia compliant expert, but uh, if I could put it in the layman's term, basically, uh, you know, everything that is uh, non, uh, uh, everything that is, uh, sort of like uh, not, not in the gambling industry, not in the liquor industry, we considered it halal. Sharia compliant basically just means that uh, when it comes to structuring, for example, uh, in, a, in the Sharia law, uh, interest is not allowed. So there will be a different ways of structuring it. Um, but it doesn't mean that we will only invest in uh, Muslim uh, you know, run uh, of uh, uh, startups. You know, any companies like fintech, that's why uh, one of our focus is fintech because anything tech is technically Sharia compliant. Uh, so when it comes to the deal uh, sourcing, which me and, and uh, Su Yong will do, we basically look at ideas that is uh, viable for investment. And then when it comes to structuring the deals, uh, that's where uh, Baiza and Hidayat will come in and they will put it in the contract in, in the Sharia compliant law. So it's a very interesting uh, position to be in right now because uh, faith-based uh, businesses are booming in Malaysia and in Southeast Asia. And Malaysia is definitely in uh, one of the best positions uh, to claim this space because if you look at the history, um, some of the best Sharia advisors are actually from Malaysia. So our advisor is Datuk Daud, uh, founder of Amani. He is also the... the uh, <clears throat> I think the president of the Islamic uh, University in Malaysia, and he has been a Sharia advisor to one of, you know, many many big organizations. So, Dato Daud uh, was actually uh, the founder of Amani, where Baiza came from. So, uh, when it comes to the compliance, when it comes to uh, really, uh, 
you know, raising money from LPs in, in the Middle East region or even deploying uh, in startups that can comply with the, the structure. Uh, I think uh, we, we have, uh, you know, good, we are in good hands. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It gives you an opportunity to tap into an industry that yes. uh, most funds don't usually have the opportunity to. Yes, it's, it's just like uh, there's some misconception. For example, if I have a restaurant, right, and it's not halal, so I only cater to a specific target audience. But there, if you look at uh, uh, big hotel chains, their, their restaurants, uh, you know, they, they claim that they are halal. They just so, don't serve a specific type of food. But then you open up your customer base to like, you know, a, a, a bigger base because especially in, in, in um, uh, Malaysia and then, for example, in Indonesia. In fact, the Muslim population or the faith-based business is one of, uh, you know, a very interesting topic that certainly deserve another, you know, uh, a discussion, in-depth discussion. Uh, uh, so I feel that um, when we start something, we need to find a niche for ourselves and you know, it just happened that our team members has got this in-depth knowledge uh, on, on Sharia law. So why not? To wrap up our call with our last question, what piece of advice would you give to people out there from the journey you have had thus far in life? Well, uh, I'd like to perhaps take this uh, opportunity and the situation we are all uh, in right now, the COVID situation. Um, there are people who are actually thriving in the midst of crisis and there are people who are just surviving, trying to get out of this situation. So um, my advice is you, can ha you have a choice and each of, each of us have a choice. We can either pretend that nothing happens, we can you know, uh, just sit back, relax and watch things happen. That means, you know, we look at news every day and someone uh, and, you know, around the world is doing great things. Or we can perhaps roll out our sleeves and make things happen. So, uh, and, and this decision is really up to that individual. Uh, nobody can force you to do things you don't want to do. So, if you're doing a, going to start a, a business, um, be sure that you enjoy the journey as well because if you do things that you don't enjoy, it's going to be really stressful. So uh, take it baby step at a time. Uh, you can dream big, but you have to be really realistic that you act, you start to act locally, you know, take the first step first. So that would be my uh, advice to people, uh, you know, um, all around the world, uh, whether you are, a startup or even if you are a professional in your mid-career, uh, do something different every day. Rina, for people that want to reach out to you, what would be the best point of contact? Um, you can check out my LinkedIn. Uh, is is uh, Rina Neo. Um, so that's the best way uh, to reach out to me. It was a pleasure having you on Geeks of the Valley. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.